Amen, amen. It's good to see you today, 10 o'clock. How's everybody doing today? Good, good. Uh, my name is Richie, our lead pastor here, and I'm super thankful that God got you here today, and I'm excited uh, to spend a few minutes together just unpacking God's heart and God's word with you. And so uh, if you've got a Bible, would you grab that now, or your Bible app on your phone? We'll have stuff on the screen as well. Uh, but we want to open to the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, way back at the very beginning, Genesis chapter 12 is where we'll be launching off from today. And so if you have that, get there now. I don't know if you struggle like I do. Just got a question for you. Do you ever feel like, man, I am the center of my universe? Anybody? That is a common struggle. I think all of us wrestle with this in our own hearts. It's because of what we talked about last week. We unpacked Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, and we see Adam and Eve sin. They take the fruit and eat of it that God had forbidden them to eat of it, and, and sin entered our story when they did that. Our sinful nature that we are born with compels us to rebel from God's design, his leading in our lives, and really make ourselves the center of our universe. We're telling God's story over these next several weeks. We want to unpack really the Old Testament. If you don't know what the Old Testament is, it's really these first huge chunk of books in your Bible uh, that tell the story of God's people prior to the arrival of Jesus. Jesus is the culmination of the story, all of human history, and we as a church are passionate about talking about Jesus all the time, but we want to help understand, all of us understand, how Jesus fits into the story, how we fit into this much larger story, hopefully minimize our uh, center of the universe-ness that we got going on, and, and help us understand, man, there's something miraculous, powerful, thousands of years that, that God has been working all throughout human history and recognize our place in it all. And so I'm excited. I'm excited to unpack the Old Testament um, and really thankful that we get these moments together. As a church, we're passionate about coming in here on Sundays uh, to be equipped for the work of God and, and to be sent into this week uh, on a mission to reach this world for him one person at a time. And so, and I, I hope your heart's expectant, thankful uh, that we get to be here. Uh, I am super proud of you. I mean, I expected like 12 of us to be here today with the snow out here. So you're already like way ahead of my expectation, but put an expectancy in your heart to go, God, I want to hear from you today. I want to hear what you want to say in my life, how you want to shape me. Uh, none of us feel equipped for the mission of God. None of us feel like we got it figured out. If you're not a church person, this is so good because all of us are coming in here together going, okay, God, make yourself known, reveal yourself, speak to me, uh, lead me to become who you're calling me to be. Give me just a next step today to take, God. And so uh, that kind of humility, that kind of teachability, God loves to work in that heart. Uh, as we look to scripture today, I, I just want to pray before we dive in because God is moving. And um, I mean, last week we got to baptize, I think, two more people into Jesus Christ. Isn't that pretty cool to see uh, lives being changed around here? And when I, when I reflect on this, uh, there's Andrew. I love seeing Andrew baptized. I, I, I just get like so like humble. God, you're working. You're doing things that none of us like planned or figured out. You're just doing what you're doing and we get a chance to be a part of it. And so when I come in prayer like this, there's things that God wants to speak to you that he's going to reveal to you. Um, there's stuff that he wants to do in me and during this time. And so this is just us just humbling ourselves before God. So let's pray together this morning. Lord, we, we trust you to be speaking in this time and we thank you for these sacred, sacred, sacred moments together, God. Your word is open. Our hearts are open. 
Uh, God, we're ready to hear from you. And, and I pray any discouraged heart would be lifted this morning. Any perplexed heart would just be calmed today, God. Any confused heart, God, would just be brought clarity to, God. Anybody that's just needing uh, love today, God, that you would just love every heart in this room, Jesus. Um, those that need to be challenged, challenge us, God. Those that need to be convicted, convict us, God. Uh, we'll just say yes, Lord, to you. We humble ourselves, and uh, we want you to speak and lead in each of our lives today. Uh, we love you so much, Jesus, in your name. Can you say amen today? Amen. Well, I, I alluded to it a minute ago, but in Genesis chapter 3, the story of God really fell apart when sin entered the story. But God wasn't like blown away like, oh no, what am I going to do now? God really began to set in motion his rescue plan, which Jesus is the culmination of, but, but there's a lot of story before Jesus. God started to, to identify for himself people that he could invite into the story. I love this because God is a relational God. He didn't have to create mankind, but he chose to because he loves us and wanted to include us in his creation and his story. And he didn't have to include us in his, his plan to rescue all mankind, but he chose to engage us and invite us in to be a part of what he was doing to get to experience his love and his grace flowing through us. And, and in Genesis early on, you, you start to see in Genesis 4, you'll see Cain and Abel and they're fighting and killing I mean, the brokenness that starts to enter the story. And then five and six, you see the wickedness of mankind just begin to spread and pro proliferate. And, and, and then you see God starting to go, okay, we got to do something about this sin problem that's here infecting mankind. And he starts to engage with different people, different characters in scripture. There's a guy named Noah. Anybody heard of Noah in the room? few of us. There's another guy named Lot. Anybody heard of Lot? L-O-T, okay, a few of you. Another guy, <clears throat> Abraham. Anybody heard of Abraham? Abraham is eventually the one who God really does team up with and say, all right, I'm going to do something amazing through you. But, but Noah and Lot, both, all three of these guys give us different pictures of the kind of people that we could choose to be or not be. None of these guys are wrong or bad in who they are or how they entered into the story. But the way they engaged with the brokenness around them, I think is important for us to reflect on, self-reflect on. But let's start with God's story before we get to our story. Noah was the guy that God told to build a giant boat. Kind of a crazy guy. You would build a boat in the middle of a desert. Like, like that's pretty courageous, right? That he would actually have the courage to trust that God, you were gonna send a flood to flood all of this wickedness away and wash this kind of world clean. And God says, yeah, I want you to build this gigantic ark in, in the middle of the desert. And soon the rains will come, the waters will rise. It'll be a flood. Get ready. Get your family ready. I'm going to send you animals. They're going to fill the ark. All of this. This becomes this, this crazy moment in, in, in human history. And God, God told Noah to do this. And he did exactly what God told him to do. But what's interesting is, when, when you reflect on Noah's story, there was maybe opportunity. I don't know. We don't, we don't know. The story is what the story is. But like, what if Noah was like, well, God, don't you want to put more people on this boat? Don't you want to fill it up with not just animals, like people too? Like, could, could we do something different here? But God was convinced that this is the kind of the state of the world and just needed to be washed clean by this flood. And in rabbinic circles, like people that teach in this kind of old language, um, Noah's known as a man with a fur coat. What does this mean? When it's cold outside, 
You could build a fire so everybody could get warm, or you could put on a fur coat so you get warm. Not that Noah was disobeying God or doing anything wrong, but, but he's kind of known as this picture of like somebody that, well, what if, you know, you're just faithful to God and obedient to God's commands in your life, and if everybody else is just kind of wicked and a mess all around you, you don't really care, just I'm going to take care of me and mine and my family and we're good. It's almost kind of like a little holy huddle that we create. Churches get this way too. We're just going to protect ourselves from the big bad world and lock the doors and wait for heaven to come, right? Some of us do this. This is not what Noah was doing, but it becomes kind of this picture, if you know what I'm saying. Lot is another example. Lot is another type of person that um, God engaged with in his story. Abraham had adopted Lot as his nephew and brought him into the family. And as God was leading Abram, uh, Lot was a part of this miraculous journey, leaving their homeland and beginning to just multiply. Their, their herds got so big that Abraham finally came to Lot and was like, Lot, we got to separate up. We got to kind of divide out and uh, we got to occupy a lot more land because there's not room for all of us here. And, and Abram would have been the one that would have been right to demand where he wanted to settle his land. But instead he gave the choice to Lot. He's like, Lot, where do you want to settle your family and your flocks and your herds and all of this? You, you choose. Bible says that Lot chose the most pleasing land. Can I get an amen on that, right? The most well-watered land. Well, the problem with this land is that it was known as Sodom, and these people were famous for sinning, if you know what I'm saying. They, they were like notorious sinners. It would have been like, you know, where's the worst place on the planet where the most sin is most prolific? Let's, let's pick that one. Let's, let's go there. And the problem with Lot's life is that he was so surrounded by wickedness and sinfulness that uh, he didn't have the capacity to affect those around him because he looked and sounded and acted so much like them. He kind of got deluded in a very wicked culture. When he finally tried to do something about wickedness and injustice, they wouldn't listen. His life had had so much similar to everyone around him that he had no impact on the brokenness in this world. The third person that is in the book of Genesis, this is Genesis chapter 12, if you've got your finger there in your Bible, was a man named Abram, or Abraham he became known as. When God made a promise to Abram in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1, look at this. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I think this is interesting. When God is engaging someone in his story, he's asking them, him to leave his place of comfort, what he's known, all the things that he's built for himself. He's asking him to walk away from that. And then God says, I will make you, Abram, into a great nation. You're not just going to be like one man with a little bit of family. You're going to be like massive family, as numerous as the sand of the, the seashore, he says. I will bless you, he says, and I will make your name great. Most of us would stop the conversation right here. This sounds good, God. I want to be the center of my universe, right? I want to do what I want to do, how I want things to go. But listen to God's blessing on him, commission on him. And you, Abraham, will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and curses, whoever curses you, I will curse. And look at this. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. 
This is, the, this is the Abrahamic covenant. This is God saying to mankind, I want to team up with you. I want to be together in this rescue mission. This is the family eventually that we know Jesus comes through. This is the, the family of blessing, the family of promise, the family that God eventually brings salvation to all mankind through. Abraham couldn't see all that. All he knows is God is telling him to leave where he is and that he is going to become a nation, a people so numerous that, that, that God is going to bless him and he's going to bless all nations through him. This is another kind of person that received this opportunity to be a part of the story of God. Genesis chapter 18, if you want to turn over there in your Bible, verse 16 through 33, we see this picture of Abraham's heart, which I think is so powerful because if God's inviting us to be a part of his story, he really has some work on our to do on our hearts, to shape us, to, to care about the story and to look at the story the way he looks at the story that he is unfolding and that we are a part of. That land that Lot settled in was known as Sodom. And the wickedness was so prolific that the Lord decided to, again, cleanse this part of the land. And Abraham hears of this. God tells him about, the Lord tells Abraham about this. And, and so Abraham kind of begins to question and go, God, what if there's righteous people in Sodom as well? Are you going to still like wipe out the righteous with the wicked? Like, how is that okay, God? That doesn't seem just or fair or, or, or your nature. Would, would you really do that? And, and, and Abram goes, Lord, what, well, what if there's 50 righteous people in Sodom? Would you save the city? And the Lord says, yeah, absolutely. I would. I would save the city. Well, I don't mean to be a nuisance, Lord, but if there was 45, would you save the city? Yeah, absolutely, I would save the city for 45 righteous people. Well, I don't mean to bother you, but what if there was 40 people that were righteous in the city? This is, this is Genesis 18. Abram just begins this dialogue with the Lord, like pleading on behalf of the, the, the potential people in this, in this place, Sodom, that shouldn't be destroyed. And, and I love the heart of Abraham in this story. You just start to see him going, well, well, what if there was 30? If there was 30 righteous people, God would not destroy it. Well, how about 20, he says. How about 10? And the Lord says, yeah, if there, was not, if there was 10 righteous people, I would not destroy this place. And I love the, the, the heart, the compassion of Abraham in this story to say, all right, Lord, there is people that need to be rescued in this place. God, would you save them? Would you rescue them? God, would you preserve them? And, and I think that the story of God here is really an invitation for us to evaluate our own stories. I, I remember being at a winter camp one year. And uh, <clears throat> I was a youth leader. I think I was an intern in a, in a youth ministry. And the preacher was fiery. I remember his, his name was Pat. I mean, he was fiery. And I remember him like calling all the students in the room. And when you're a leader in the room, sometimes you maybe look at those moments of prayer a little bit differently. And I remember God just like speaking to me. He's, you know, the Pat's preaching to all these students. And I'm kind of, you know, I'm around, but I'm not... You know, I'm a leader here, you know? And, and, and God was like, hey, Richie, I, w- I want you to pray right now. I'm like, okay, yeah, I want to pray. And he said, I-, I want you to pray for my heart. And specifically, I remember the word burden. I want you to ask me to give you this burden that I have, the, the weight that I feel for people that are lost and disconnected from me. And I remember going, no, God, I don't want to pray that prayer, honestly. That feels too much. 
I don't know if I can understand your weight or the burden that you feel for people that are far from you or disconnected from you. In fact, I don't know if I want to. That just feels too much. God, I kind of like me being the center of my universe, right? I don't think that's what I said in that time, but there was this real like drawing in my heart to know just, and I prayed. And I remember just the, the weightiness of that time in the presence of God, like, like maybe one that I'd never experienced before where I just felt this crushing desperation, not only for the heart of God, but also for the strength of God and, and the wisdom of God to love the way that God had called me to love. And, and my story, I remember, was so marked by that moment right there. That, that for me, that really began this journey of kind of getting beyond myself. Okay, Lord, how do you want to use this life to serve, to love other people, to lead other people? Sometimes God has to kind of call us out of our comfort, out of our land that we're living in like Abraham was, and, and call us to a place of surrender that maybe we don't want to go. If we're going to be a part of God's story. See, the story of God is being written, has been written and is being written for thousands of years. Generations of people like you and I have had to make a choice. Am I going to engage in God's story or am I going to just try to live my own story and just try to live my life with my significance and do my thing? But, but all of human history is being encapsulated by the story of God's people. And you and I, I think, Knowing who Jesus is, if you're in the room and you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, there is, there is an opportunity for you and I to really engage in the story of God in a unique and a new and a different way. I think of Ephesians 2.10. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus in the first century. He's like, hey, you are God's masterpiece. God actually put you together exactly the way he wanted to. And, and, and he's, he, he's made you anew. He created you new in Christ Jesus. Why? So that you could do the good work that he planned long ago for you to do. You're actually a part of the story. You're his masterpiece. You're not just saved to put on a fur coat and take care of you and yours. You're actually saved for a purpose to do the good work that God has called you and ordained you to do that. You and I are actually a people that have a part to play in this mission. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. This is another way of saying this, that we're actually representing Jesus in real life. When you go to work, when you go to school, when, you, when you're around friends and family and, and coworkers, you are an ambassador of God, as though God were actually making his appeal through you, through us, Paul writes in this passage. What's the appeal? We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Come back to God. God is wanting to save you. He's wanting to restore you to right relationship with him. Come back to God. This, this commission is the call of Jesus' people for us to really wrestle with. And in your story, for you to go, ah, hmm, where do I find myself? So I got a few questions I want to ask you today. As you reflect on God's story here, Abraham, Lot, Noah, all these guys were God's guys. None of them were like better. It's just pictures, right? I hope you hear that in this story. But I love the, the opportunity to self-reflect on our own stories. And I wonder if you would just kind of answer these own questions internally as we're talking today. One is this, who do you see? Like when you're living your life and you're in the midst of everything normal and ordinary that's going on all around you and 
And, and, and as you're engaging with people that are at work or people that at school, whatever kind of context that you have, who do you see? I was thinking about just a cool moment this week for me personally in this conversation was God's opening doors all around us for us to be part of cool stuff. Uh, our One Heart team is teaming up with the city of Spokane down at Riverfront Park. We're going to throw a big Easter egg hunt for the entire city. Really cool, right? And uh, I love this because then some of our radio friends in a local radio group, actually a national radio group that has a local presence here, heard about it. And they're like, hey, can you come meet with us and talk to us about this Easter egg hunt? We want to be a part. And maybe other people can be a part too. And so I'm meeting with them and their sales team and all these people. And, and it's just this cool opportunity to team up with other people in our city. But in the midst of that conversation, um, somebody in the, in the meeting kind of pipes up and they're like, you're a pastor, right? And I'm like, yeah, I'm a pastor. And this is why we're doing this. And we love kids. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. We love kids too. And, and there was these jokes kind of flying around. Anytime somebody finds out I'm a pastor, it always changes the room, okay? It's just like, oh, okay. How is this going to go? And there was these jokes flying around a little bit. And, and at one point, this one gal in the conversation was like, hey, you know I'm a pastor, right? And so of course, we're going to invite you to come to real life. We want you to be a part of what's happening here and come, find, you know, whatever. I, I don't remember exactly how I said it, but there was just a simple invitation. She's like, oh, no, 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 no way. That place would catch on fire if I walked in there is what she said. I'm like, no, it's brick. It's cool. You're good, right? Like, Actually, it'll probably fall down. No, it won't fall down. I promise you. You, you know, but there was this just cool moment for me walking away from that conversation just going, huh. You know, I just was going about my ordinary week, doing my ordinary stuff, and God just is like right in front of me, here's somebody that hasn't had a good relationship with church or Jesus or God or whatever has happened in their story. There's an opportunity here for me now to engage in their story, and what if God wants to invite them to be a, who do you see? Like ordinariness just kind of rolls over us. Days just kind of go by and the grind just eats our lunch and we just find ourselves in the midst of everything normal and forget to look that there is people around us that, that might need to experience the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. If we're not careful, we're just walking around this broken, lost, dying world with a fur coat on, forgetting about the brokenness around us. Who do you see? That's the question I want you to consider in your heart today. There's maybe obvious people that you might see, like, oh, their story looks broken. Maybe they're standing on the corner with a cardboard sign, and you would go, oh, well. The, and, and I'm not discounting that, but we evaluate people the way God evaluates people from, from the inside, right? That, that we look at people in their hearts. Just because someone has success doesn't mean there is significance in their soul. We don't just write off people that seem okay, like they don't need God or they don't have time for God. Or There's people that you are interacting with day in and day out that might have it all together, but internally are, are completely upside down and need somebody to see them. And if we're not careful, we'll identify the really broken people around us and miss all the people that internally are, are just struggling and need somebody to see them right where they are in the middle of their story. Who do you see? I love as a church to just pray for opportunities to see the people that God has around us. Here's what God's so good at, answering that prayer. 
It's amazing. Whenever you pray, God, help me to see who you see. Help me to have your heart. Help me to have your burden for people, the way that you, you feel about people. God, I want to feel that way about people. Like, he loves to answer that prayer. He loves to put people in front of you. He loves to open your eyes so you can see who is right in front of you. Like, it's not, it's not rocket science. It's dependence on Jesus. It's just us going, God, I want to have your heart. I don't know how to have your heart. I don't, I don't really, I, I'm kind of afraid to have your heart. Like I was so many years ago, I'm like, ah, I want to pray that, but I'm not really want to, wanting to pray that right now. But man, when you pray, God answers. God, always, God is on a rescue mission. And he is wondering if there are people that would want to join him on this mission. And our little ordinariness and our little grind gets in the way of us recognizing that we're a part of an amazing, massive, life-changing, history-shaping story if we open our eyes and see who is right around us. God forbid that we would just be a bunch of people with fur coats on and forget to build the fire in Spokane. God set us on fire. God, make us a people who bring warmth and light to everyone around us. God, give us a heart and a passion to see the people that are right in front of us, the way you see them, God. The other question I have from this story is this. Are you set apart? Lot became so like everyone that he had no authority in their lives. What do I mean? His story wasn't better than their story. He looked the same, sounded the same, struggled with the same. Like, are you set apart? See, disciples of Jesus, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, we're given the spirit of God inside of us. And the spirit of God is the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead. You know what that is? Power. Amen? Power. Like the power of God to change you to make you into somebody that God is wanting you to become. But it takes a submitted heart to the spirit of God to be changed and transformed. But here's the point. The disciple of Jesus is being changed by the power of Jesus inside you. If we come to Jesus and stay in the exact same spot, I am questioning where our heart is and where our submission is, where our obedience is to the spirit of God inside of us. Are you being changed? Are you different? Are you actually set apart? The Bible word is holy. We were just singing, God, you are holy. Make us holy. Jesus said, you got to become holy as, I, as my Father in heaven is holy. Would you set these lives apart, God? Would we not be so complacent and blending in that we look like everyone else, sound like everyone else, struggle with the same stuff as everyone else? Would you actually change us, God? And here's what I'm not saying. you got to be perfect. What I am saying is you got to be dependent on the Spirit of God to become the person that God has called you to be. Things should be changing. Freedom should be happening. Things should be transforming about your attitude, about your sexual purity, about the way you view people, about your gossip, about your conversations. Things should be changing about these lives because the Spirit of God is empowering us and shaping us for the purpose of God. Are you set apart? And I think that this is a question that we can always ask. It's not like, oh, whew, finally I'm set apart. It's a constant day in and day out. This is why we need each other. 
That's why we need relationships with each other to keep each other encouraged in this because it gets tiring being set apart. I want to be like everyone else because it seems easier. It seems better. It seems like whatever. Like for us to live differently with the priorities of God, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, how we view our spouses, how we love and serve our kids, how we lead in the church, how we sacrifice. Abram was called out of the place that he was to go to a new land, to do a new place of promise. For you and I to intentionally walk away from the life that we used to live. The life we built when we were the center of our universe is such an important part that we recognize, no, I'm going to be a part of God's story now. I'm not going to just live my story and do my thing and live like everyone else because here's the problem. Our message gets diluted. If we don't have hope, nobody's going to look to us for anything. If we don't have a different, uh, if we're just as anxious, just as addicted, just as broke, like God, you've got to change us so that we have a hope to share with those that are around us. My fear is that we would be a people that are like, yeah, Jesus, I need your salvation, but I'm going to stay living my story, doing my thing, making myself the center of my universe. No, that's a lot. That's a person who has no impact, no influence in people's lives. Nothing's different or peculiar about you. Like why, when your loved one passes away, we grieve differently because we're not grieving as those ones that have no hope. No, we believe, okay, if they have a relationship with Jesus, they're in heaven now. And we're going to see them one day. And there's a piece in my soul that says, all right, God, I'm trusting that I'm going to spend eternity with you, that they're in eternity with you. Like I'm going to grieve still, but it's different kind of grief when I know that you are, you are working something out eternally. There's a massive story that's being written. And I, we're a part of it. They're a part of it. God, you're doing something. See, when you and I are set apart, we have an opportunity to invite people in to the story. And that's the last question I have for you. Are you? actively, right now, bringing people into the story of God. God is looking for those of us who want to, will, are willing. Not perfect people. Abram was far from perfect. He messed up a lot. You read Genesis 13, 14, 15, 16. It's a long story of Abraham's failures and flaws. But God used him. The story of Abraham really isn't the story of Abraham. It's the story of God, including Abraham in God's story. Just like your story has an opportunity to become a part of God's story. But what God's heart has always been is that we would be outward focused, seeing people where they are and inviting them to be a part. It's an active thing. It's not a passive thing that you would go, hey, I, I don't know how to say this right. or I don't know how to preach some message or do something, but come with me. Uh, Come, let's hang out. Let's, let's get involved in each other's lives and stories. Let's be intentional about like actually including people in what God is doing. And I don't know the perfect way. There's not some prescription to this. Maybe you're inviting people to services. Maybe you're, you're, you're hanging out with people. You're intentional about walking to the sidelines of your kid's sporting activity with like a, a real thoughtfulness about, okay, there's people here. How do I include them, invite them, bring them into the story of God? There's people everywhere we go that, that are opportunities for us to invite them out of their broken story into the good story, God's story. The story of redemption and power and life change. And that's the third question is, are you? Are you actively right now bringing people into God's story? And these are questions for evaluation, right? Am I set apart? Who do I see? Am I bringing people in? Am I inviting, including? 
See, what I love about the story of God is that Jesus did come. <laughs> because Abraham's descendants got kind of messed up. They, they thought that this message was just for them. And they didn't invite and include. In fact, when Jesus came on the scene, he was really disruptive toward them because they wanted to just keep it for themselves. And Jesus began to just welcome people in, healing people that they, he shouldn't have healed. He began to include people that were far outside of their bounds or their rules or whatever it is that they had struggled with. But the story of God's people has always been one of including, inviting, welcoming in. And Jesus is our picture of that. Because of Jesus, it's not just for Abraham's descendants now. There's an invitation for everyone to know love, to know mercy, to know forgiveness. See, God made mankind. Before Abraham existed, God was creating and making us to be in right relationship with us. Genesis 3, when sin entered our story, all of humanity was infected with this rebellious attitude towards God. But God's rescue plan wasn't just for the select few. God's rescue plan was for all of mankind to put it back the way he intended it to be. So when Jesus comes, he marks this wide open door now for everyone, anyone who would call on the name of Jesus would be saved. That you could actually be back in right relationship with God the way you're intended to be. The standard for that relationship is perfection. None of us measure up to that standard, yet Jesus does and did. He came, walked sinless and perfect, was tempted and tried in every way that you've been tempted, yet remained without sin. And he didn't do it just so he could boast. He actually became a substitute. When he went to the cross, Jesus was willingly paying the penalty for our sin. The Bible says the wages of our sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. When he went to the cross, he is dying there on behalf of all mankind, not just the select few. And if anybody would, would come in, if anybody would repent, if anybody would put their faith in Jesus Christ, they would be given the, the right to become a child of God. And so this invitation is Jesus invitation is the invitation of God's story from all of history. It is the invitation of Jesus' church. That's what we are, is we are now the ones carrying this story into real life week in and week out. We are carrying this hope inside of us. We are carrying the transformation that God is doing in us. We are carrying the burden of those that are still outside of the goodness and the love and the forgiveness of God. We are carrying this responsibility. I am an ambassador that God has called to this city, to this school, to this workplace, and I'm carrying that with a sense of purpose, significance, joy, gladness. God, what a, what a joy to be a part of your story. Would you use me to include, to invite, to bring people to be a part of this story? This is what makes Jesus' church so powerful. Says your life is being changed. People around you want to know the hope that you have, want to be a part of the story that you're a part this is who God's called us to be. He's called us, and he's calling each of you to choose to live your own story or to be a part of God's story. To live as the center of your own universe, do your own life and do your own thing, or actually choose to see people, have a, a heart to go, oh God, would you save them? 
Would you rescue them? Would you use me? So I want to ask you to make a couple of the decisions today. One is this. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus, that's where this all begins. You go, I don't have a heart for people. You need to turn to Jesus because his heart is for people. As you surrender to his heart, he fills you with his spirit, begins to empower you and change you to become the person he made you to be. That set-apartness, that difference starts to happen in your life. People start to take notice. But it starts with you just surrendering to Jesus. Others of you, you need relationship. There's people that you've just been around that aren't helping you become who God made you to be. I love Proverbs. Uh, he who walks with the wise becomes wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Old youth pastor mentor of mine used to say, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You need people in your life that are going to help you become what God made you to be. We would love to help. That's what that Connect card's about. That's what all of this is about, is trying to provide those kind of relationships for you. Why don't you stand to your feet today, real life. I want to pray for you. Pray together. Jesus, we need you. We do. We need you, God. We ask God for that. A sense of burden, that sense of responsibility, that sense of, oh God, people in our city, our friends, our schools, God, they, they need you. They need salvation. They need hope, God. May we be a people who feel that burden, carry that responsibility, who see the story for what it is, God. May we intentionally move out of the center of our own universe and move into your story, God. Give us eyes to see the people that you see. Give us a heart to care and to love and to reach and to invite, God. Make us the people who are after you and after your city, these people, God. Forgive us, God, for our just allowing life to just kind of eat away our passion. God, we just come back to you and ask you to just restore the passion in our hearts to know you, to help others experience you, God. Forgive us, God, for getting just lulled into looking like everyone else, sounding like everyone else, not being set apart for your purposes, God. God, make us holy. God, raise up a generation that is holy. God, a people that are passionate about becoming like you, Jesus, that your way is better. That your way is better, God. It's a way of hope and life and freedom. God, would you call a generation of your church? Call us out of just surviving and self serving God and call us to a place of sacrifice humility God we know your heart is for this world God give us your heart
stand in his presence for a moment. Whatever he's doing in you right now, just acknowledge. Maybe he's convicting you of sin. He's asking you to lay some old habits down. Just acknowledge it. Yes, Lord. Maybe he's inviting you out of isolation into relationship. Just acknowledge that. Yes, Lord. God, we are an obedient people. We're a responsive people, God. Maybe he's showing you somebody that's right in front of you that you've been overlooking and he's drawn to himself. Let's just stay in this posture of worship and awe before.